But we're in week three of our four-week series called Befriend. And the intent behind the series is to prepare you for returning to normal life, returning even here to church today. And I believe that our latter days are going to be better than our former days. How many people believe that today? Okay, this is okay. Let's get a good amen. Our latter is going to be better than our former days. I believe that with all my heart. And so this morning, we dedicate our time to discovering what it means to be generous in times of need. Our scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. If you have a mask on with me and you're here, I'd invite you to read with me. If you don't, just follow along. And we're going to read together in one voice, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Let's read together. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you together for 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the words written by Paul to the church in Corinth. And Father, I pray that you would teach us the secret of generosity today. Teach us how to be like you, the God who gave his own life for us that we may live, that we may be rich and not poor, rich in spirit. And so, Jesus, I pray that you enable us to imitate you and to imitate the churches and the Bible that we see that practice this uh, crucial behavior, this crucial, uh, consistent pattern of giving to those in need. Father, help us to see the needs around us. Give us the eyes of compassion. Give us your heart. Give us your eyes, we pray, because we want to see the needs, and we want to fill and meet the needs, because you have given to us so abundantly. We are so, so, so blessed. We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of being generous to those who are in need. We ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As Paul spread the gospel 
to the farthest places of the Roman Empire, and he helped establish early churches. He also came across many great needs in the churches in various places. In these moments, he called upon churches to help other churches, for Christians to help other people. And 2 Corinthians 8-9 to is one of these crucial moments. I cannot preach 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15 without prefacing with 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. So we have to do a little bit of rewinding. The Apostle Paul had asked the Corinthian church to prepare an offering to contribute to the needs of the Jerusalem church who were in financial distress. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 4, the Apostle Paul, he referred to the exemplary giving of the poor Macedonian church towards those who are in need. Now catch this. This church was poor. And yet he says to them, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given these Macedonian churches. Look at their example, Corinthians. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. You see, the Macedonian church, they had set an amazing example for all believers. They were under severe trial. They were in extreme poverty, and yet they were still what? Rich in generosity. Giving becomes true generosity when it is sacrificial giving. And as David taught us, we should not give something to the Lord that costs us nothing. Instead, notice that Instead of being asked to give, they pleaded to give. They wanted the privilege of giving. They wanted to be a part of this opportunity. And if this is the case with the Macedonian believers, surely the more affluent Corinthian believers could add something in proportion to what God had given them. The compelling logic that the Apostle Paul used to motivate them is found then in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9, jumping down in that passage. The scripture says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the, e with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Think about that for a second. Jesus rich comes to us who are poor in order to make us rich. It's not a question of what would Jesus do, WWJD. It's a question of what did Jesus do. See, just as Jesus, who was rich, would become poor, that we might become rich, the rich Corinthians ought to imitate Jesus' example and become poor so that other believers may be made rich. And so Jesus, here he models to us generosity instead of frugality and instead of hoarding. Paul continued in 2 Corinthians 8, 10 to 15, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Here's my recommendation, believers. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness, willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. 
but that there might be equality. At this present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. That's an important word in our day and age, equality, that we see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we see the need and we meet the need. You see, the Corinthian church had previously given a year ago. They were generous people. In fact, they were the first to give and very willing to give that very first time, but they were not motivated to give again a year later. Something had changed in their heart. Maybe they felt exempt, like, I gave before, I don't have to give again. Somebody else can do it. From Paul's perspective, there was still a lingering need. He encouraged them to finish what they had started in the first place. And their giving would allow for the needs of the church in Jerusalem to be met in full, so that it was not partially met, but fully met. And so the goal of generosity, friends, is not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. That's the truth of the matter. It's not that we give the same amount of money. It's that all of us take on the same weight of sacrifice as fellow believers in Jesus Christ, that we bear each other's burdens and we take that upon ourselves and we'll say, I'll do the best I can do to help meet this need. The church in Corinth's plenty would supply the church in Jerusalem's lack, and one day the church in Jerusalem's plenty would supply the church in Corinth's lack. We're there. We're in this together. We're here for each other. And so we must keep only what we need and be generous with the rest. I believe that churches ought to be generous with other churches. I believe that Christians ought to be generous with other Christians. But the question tonight, to this morning is, how generous are we? Really, how generous are we? And so this morning, I want to identify three principles of generosity drawn from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15 that will encourage us. And I hope that this will be an encouragement to you to meet the needs around us. This in no way is a command to you. This is an encouragement. Listen to these principles. The first one is the principle of sowing and reaping. We find this in verse 6 to 8. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It means with a smile on their face. God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, whenever we think of that phrase, you reap what you sow, we are quick to relate it to some level of cause and effect. It is understood as this universal law with guaranteed outcomes. And in our sinful nature, we can misapply this principle and sow with immoral motivations in order to reap greater return for selfish reasons. We have reduced generosity in the time of need to just an economic transaction. I'll be generous to this person now with the expectation that they will be generous to me later. It creates that I owe you system. I owe you. And when we give with those hidden clauses, we actually enslave that person. They become our debtor. For the majority of us, our generosity has been equated to borrowing and is motivated by some form of interest. When you put money in the bank, you're expecting to make some interest on your money. And that's good, but maybe not with our human relationships. 
See, giving is truly giving when there is no personal benefit received. We must allow God to evaluate the condition of our human hearts. You may sow in dollars and reap in health. You may sow in time and you may reap in peace. It is not a dollar for dollar transaction. As the principle of sowing and reaping stands, God determines the type of return that you will receive. And I've noticed that those who are under conditions are always disappointed when they do not receive a return in the same form or in the same measure that they had expected. Generosity, then, is a decision made between God and the giver. It's a conversation. It's a spiritual act. It is, it is a decision that requires heart transformation, not just mental assent. It is to be not made with reluctance. It is not to be made under the compulsion of another person. It is to be done cheerfully. And like I said, you should have the biggest smile on your face when you give with the spirit of generosity. As I read this portion of scripture this week during my study, there was one word that caught my attention in regards to our reaping, and that is the word all. See, God is not interested in a one-for-one one return. He is interested in a one-for-all return because we serve a generous God. One of our biggest fears that holds us back from being generous is our fear of living in empty or living in wanting. God's invitation to us is to give, not so that we'll be drained, but so that he can refill you. See, when the reservoir is empty, that is the time for the reservoir to be refilled over and over again. You will have that firsthand experience of the sufficiency of God, that he is more than enough. As we sang today, Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for us. When you give generously to meet the needs of those around you, God blesses the entirety of your life. You see, you might give in dollars, but what God wants to do, he wants to pour an abundant blessing upon you that touches every aspect of your life. In actuality, you reap so much more than you sow. It's because of who God is. And at his own discretion, God blesses you in abundance. So God per perpetuates cyclical giving. Do not stop the cycle. First, I want you to see in verse 8 that the scripture says, at all times. Not sometimes. This is not selective blessing. This is a continual blessing that God wants to pour upon people who have the spirit of generosity. It is both in the morning and it's also in the night. It's not just one day, but it's day after day after day. How many people want to live under the blessing of God? I sure do. Second, I want you to see in verse 8 also that it says, having all that you need. See, God's promises are not just take, 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 and not give, give, give. As you give, he pours out blessing. See, scripture, Psalm 23, verse 1. I love this. You know the scripture. Many of you do. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. How about that? 
I lack nothing. There is nothing that you will be lacking in your life when you honor God with your resources. Now, that does not mean all the luxuries of life. That doesn't mean you have the boat and you have the multi-million dollar house and you have the vacation home or the cottage. His promise is to supply all the essentials of your life so that you can abound in every good work, which really means that you can give more and more and more and more and more. It's the God we serve. And his principles and his ways are so different than our ways. This is the way the kingdom of God works, my friends. Totally different than the world we live in. Second point this morning, God gave, the principle that God gave, and so we give. God gave, and so we give. Verse 9 to 11, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I believe that God wants to do some amazing things in and through your generosity. He wants to increase. He wants to multiply the seed that he has entrusted to you for sowing in order to produce a harvest of righteousness. I heard John Piper once say, this pastor, when you give cheerfully to God, it has forever consequences. It has forever consequences. It's not just about this life, but it's about the life to come. See, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 to 20, he taught this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where are you storing your treasure? God continues then to challenge our belief in our own self-sufficiency. Do not be mistaken for a moment. It is always God. It is always God who supplies seed to the sower. Everything that you have, it's not your own. It is from God. It is always God who is the Lord of the harvest. And so, yes, we do participate in the process of sowing and harvesting. But without God's great generosity, we would all starve to death. It's time for believers to shift their mindset and credit God instead of crediting themselves for everything they have. It is even easier to give something that you understand is not your own in the first place. If you understand that all you have comes from God, it's easy to share with others. Now, I know some of you are wondering today, why do unbelievers seem to flourish even though they do not credit God and they hoard their belongings? Consider their temporary flourishing as the mercy of God, for we know that the day of the Lord is coming soon. And the increase God provides is not meant to be consumed by or stored for ourselves, but it is to be shared generously with those who may be in need. And so God blesses you in order to make you a blessing. Jesus modeled what God expected from his people. The Apostle Paul, he quotes Jesus in Acts 20, 35, when he said, Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Not only did Jesus give his time, 
Not only did Jesus give his resources, but he gave his very life. And this is why the Apostle John taught and encouraged in 1 John 3, 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us, and we then ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. When it comes to generosity, we can have all the best of intentions, but actions always speak louder than words. See, generosity is one of those most Christ-like actions. And it shows a level of selflessness that prioritizes the need of others above our own needs. And recognizes that if Jesus gave, we also must give no matter what the cost. And so with kingdom perspective, we see that people are so much more valuable than things. Isn't that true? People are so much more valuable than things. Things will perish. You can't take it with you. But people, ah, there's an eternal value to people. Third point, the principle, giving and receiving with thanksgiving. Verses 12 to 15. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The first thing I want to let you know is that the generous person thanks God. When you are being generous, you are, in effect, you are thanking God for what he has done in your life. Verse 12 tells us, this service that you perform is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Generosity is one way of expressing your thanks to God. Our generosity should not be merely motivated by the physical needs around us. You see, generosity is a spiritual act of worship. When Pastor Gloria and the team lead us in worship, the music, yes, it's all worship, but even giving and generosity is worship. Meeting the need is worship to the Lord. And the ultimate recipient of the generosity is not the receiver, it is your Redeemer. That's the truth of the matter. And I want WPA to be like that Macedonian believers, that group of Macedonian believers in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, who collectively went above and beyond in the giving of their finances to meet needs. The scripture says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to who? To the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. Those who give themselves to the Lord have no problem giving themselves and their resources to others. Secondly, I want you to see that the recipients of generosity thanked God. Verse 13 tells us, others will praise God. Others will praise God when you give. 
Generosity inspires recipients to pray prayers of thanksgiving with their very own mouths. And when God answers prayers and when God meets needs, it will elicit a response from the recipient. This is similar to that beautiful rhythm in Scripture of God's revelation and our response to His revelation. When God does something in our lives, we cannot help but say, thank you, Jesus. You'll even hear unbelievers ironically sound like believers just for a few brief moments when they say, thank God to receiving something they waited for or really needed and they received it from a generous person. They'll praise God for your obedience. That validates then our confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For you do not just call yourself a Christian, you behave like a Christian. So the question is, does your generosity cause people to praise you? Or does it cause people to praise God? I think all of us, we want that pat on the shoulder. Wow, really well done. Thank you so much. You're the best. But what if instead it said, man, the God you serve is awesome. The God you serve is so kind and so generous. No wonder you're a Christian. No wonder you're so blessed. Our generosity should always cause people to praise God from whom all blessings flow. And thirdly, within that, the recipient of generosity will pray for you. I think this is beautiful. Verse 14 tells us, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Wouldn't it be nice for somebody to pray for you? Well, just be generous. People will start praying for you for sure. Because that way you can be more generous. Giving is a tangible expression of the grace of God. Later on in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, the Apostle Paul says, but since you excel in everything, you're so good in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you. Ah, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Don't excel in everything but giving. Excel in everything and giving. Because there's a beautiful bond made between two people whenever you meet a need because of the grace of God that is at work in you and in that relationship and your generosity, my friends, will remind them that God used you as a vessel to meet their need. God chose to use you of all people because he cares so much for them. And these recipients, what will they do? They will remember you in their hearts and their minds and will uphold you, you and your family in prayer. And they will pray that God will bless you more and more and more. And so it is clear to us today that generosity and prayer are intertwined. And whenever you meet a need, God will receive the glory and you will be prayed for. You will be covered in prayer. As we conclude this morning, I often share illustrations at the end of my message just as a way to connect with history and people in history and places in the world and things that we may have in our homes and in our lives. And while those illustrations might help us understand the main point together, it can still feel so far removed from our personal lives as a church, from our personal experiences. And this morning, I want to share with you a message that I received from one of our congregation members two weeks ago, an example of generosity in time of need. This person wrote to me, 
my husband received a text from a man in the United States asking if we could check on his mom here in Waterloo. And I responded and asked for a picture of that lady. Months ago, I had met this woman and her son in the foyer of our church after service. And we befriended them and extended an invitation for a meal at our house. And they declined that day because their son, her son had to travel back to the U.S. And in light of this urgent text message, we decided that we should bring some necessities. A mask and gloves, tropical fruit and goodies when we visited his mom. I also video called uh, the son from the mother's house so that she could see him FaceTime to each other. And I'll try to phone her at least once a week moving forward. She let me know, not so that we could say, oh, wow, awesome job, you're amazing. She let us know to let us know that that person's okay. I've got their back. I'm going to check in on them. I'm going to be watching over them and help them when they're in need. I'm so thankful that we have people like Jay and Fiona Ganga, some of the most generous people I know at WPA, who lead by example and are generous with their resources and with their time. And I tell you this story and not just some random story because I want you to know today that there are needs all around you, needs that you yourself can meet. And all of this started with them befriending a stranger in the foyer. The foyer is a powerful place. This time together as a church is an important time. Being the church is really important. How can you get to know people if you're in such a rush to get in and to get out of church? Maybe we need to practice, practice that simple practice of just lingering, just being available, just spending a little extra time to be made known and to learn about somebody new. So may we be like that Macedonian church who had so little but gave all they could give. May we be like the Corinthian church who had so much but learned how to give again and again and again. May God give us compassionate and empathetic hearts so that we can see and hear about needs of other believers and other people like those in the Jerusalem church and we can respond to their needs with our generosity. Let's pray together.